morning, everyone. In case you're wondering why there's a black box there, it was for my coffee. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> hope, you're, hope you're having a, a good day so far. Uh, it's good to be here with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes for the last time, at least the last time uh, that, that we'll do it all together. We're going to wrap up our series today uh, in Ecclesiastes, which is called A Meaningful Life. Um, and, and so we're going to wrap it up by looking at the very last two verses of the book. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, um, he, he gives us some sort of closing remarks, and we'll, we'll look at just these two verses today. So I'll read it to you. It says, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. In the early days of the North American logging industry, um, they would transport the logs using a, a process called log driving. Um, if, if you probably know a little bit about this, if you went to public school here in BC, or if for some reason you use your vacation days to go to museums. <laughs> like you guys know about the beach, right? It's w way better than the music. Anyways. <laughs> so they would do something called log driving. And log driving is they, they would cut down the logs and then the sawmill would be down the river and they would float the logs down the river to the, the sawmill. That's how they would transport them. Um, and frequently what would happen is, is they would, the logs would create what was called a log jam, which is still, it's still an expression that we use today, log jam. And a log jam is where the logs would get stuck. They would, you know, get wedged in all funny and they would get stuck. They wouldn't be able to move. And so the sawmill downriver is not getting logs, which means they're not making money. And then the logs are coming in from the other end and they're piling up and piling up. And it's a bad scene, like, like hundreds, maybe thousands of logs um, getting, all getting stuck. And so the job of a log driver was to, with, with a trained eye, go in and he would walk, right, walk on, on the logs that were floating and find what was called the key log. And the key log is the one log that if you pull it out, it frees everything up and, and the log jam will clear. And so you could go in and, you know, if you, if you were, were new to log driving and, and didn't sort of know how to find the key log, you could pull out log after log and, and you would pull it out and if it was the wrong log, it would, you'd pull it out and the log jam would move for a second and then it would get stuck again. And then you'd pull out another log and it would move for a second and get stuck again. But if you found the key log, you would pull out one log and everything would come unstuck. We've been, um, we've been tracing the story of this, this man. He calls himself the teacher. It's probably King Solomon of Israel. And, and his lifelong search for meaning and he's kind of been, his search for meaning in this life has kind of been a bit of a log jam. Like he's been stuck. He started way, way back in chapter one. He says, everything's meaningless. He's been stuck in his search for meaning. And we've, we've watched him try different things, almost like he's grabbing different logs and pulling them out to try and, and get unstuck in his search for meaning. And, and so we saw him grab at, at wisdom. Maybe this will do it. And, and you know, it, it, 
log, the log jam moved for a second, but then, oh no, it's wisdom, that was meaningless. Okay, he tried pleasure. Oh, it moved for a second. No, no, it didn't work. Still stuck. It's meaningless. Success. Tried it. Moved a little bit. Oh, no, it's still meaningless. It was all, it was all meaningless, and so he wound up stuck. Well, the end of the story is, um, is that he figured out the key log. He figured out the key log, and, and the key log is what he gives us today, um, and it's fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. That's the one thing Ecclesiastes says, that if we get it right, everything else comes unstuck. He's actually, um, we're, we're dealing with this here at the end of the series because it's the, the last couple verses and it's kind of, it's what he leaves us with as he closes out the book. And so he, he finishes by, by driving that point home. He's been saying it kind of throughout the book. It's come up about four or five times where he said, hey, fear God, hey, fear God. And so it e- even came up uh, in one of our sermons earlier. But today we're going to dig into this idea that, that fearing God is the one thing that's going to set everything straight, the one thing that's going to get everything else unstuck. So what does it mean to fear God? I'm going to argue that, um, that fearing God, to fear God is to have a life-shaping awareness of God's holiness and power. To fear God is to have a life-shaping awareness awareness of God's holiness and power. Now part of this is, um, um, part of this idea of fearing God is actually like fear, fear. Part of it is, is actually like terror. And so a great example is Isaiah 6-5. You see it on the screen. Isaiah the prophet um, has a vision of God. Um, God. God is seated on his throne in his throne room the train of his robe fills the temple there are angels their voices are shaking the foundations there's smoke billowing out it's it's scary and and Isaiah who's a pretty he has a lot of reason to be confident like he's a prophet he's a like he's a a spiritually successful person but he falls on his face and he says it's all over I am doomed for I'm a sinful man I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of Heaven's armies. And he's so struck with God's holiness and power in that moment that, that he's, like, he's terrified, actually afraid. Now we're going to nuance that, okay? We're, we're going we're gonna to go deeper. But we have to realize, you know, uh, Sam, Sam said we, we need a, a view of God that is not small. And so this is the God who created the universe with a word uh, and if you wanted to, could destroy the universe with a word. It's a, it's a crazy degree of power and it's frankly, it's, it's scary when you really look at it. And so, and so the Bible says in Ecclesiastes and elsewhere that that we have to get that. We have to understand that. Um, uh, in week two, when, when Wes preached on wisdom, um, he, he quoted the verse that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That the way you understand your life, the way you order your life, is going to be, um, it's not, you're not going to get it right if you don't get this right. If you don't get the fear 
of God right, if you don't understand God's power and holiness uh, correctly. The person, who, um, the person who unpacked this the clearest was actually Jesus in Matthew 10.28. I want to take you there. Um, in Matthew 10.28, Jesus is sending out his disciples. Um, he, he's sending them out to, to preach, and he says, you're going to encounter opposition. People are going to resist you. They might even threaten your life. And Jesus says to them, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell, which, is, which sounds very threatening. Stick with me. We'll get there. We'll deal with that. But Jesus says, but Jesus says, understand God's, uh, God's holiness and power. Understand that God is, is the, the, um, the primary reality. God is your greatest, um, the one that you should give the highest regard to. He's your highest priority, your highest accountability. Understand that, and then he says, live accordingly in this case live courageously and he says he says god is the one who's he says if you get uh the fear of god if you understand god's god's holiness and power then you'll fear god and you will not fear things that are less than god in this case other people that's that's really important Because if you don't fear God, you fear something else, don't you? How many of the decisions we make in our lives, how many of our, um, our, our little day-to-day decisions and our big, like, life-changing decisions are based not on a fear of God, but on a fear of something else, often, as it is here, other people. Now, you can... It's hard to detect sometimes uh, which one you're doing. You can, you can uh, for instance, do your work diligently, and you can do your work out of fear of God, or you can do your work out of fear of other people. You can do your work in a way where, y- where you say, I want to work diligently because God has placed me here in this world. He's created me, and he wants to, um, and, and he's, you know, placed me here to, to do um, good works in the world and, and um, you know, to, to be a diligent worker. We're actually going to, um, talk about that in our sermon series after Easter. And so you can work hard out of a fear of God or you can work hard out of a fear of other people where you say, my neighbor's car is bigger than mine. I better work hard um, because I would hate for them to think that I'm not successful. And so fearing, and so fearing God means that we have a life a life-shaping awareness of God's power and holiness. And when we fear God, we, we will not fear things that are less than God. We give God the, the greatest uh, amount of regard in our lives. Now, the central uh, problem of Ecclesiastes is this search for meaning, as we've said. That, that uh, he, he's found that everything under the sun is meaningless. The promise of Ecclesiastes is that 
the fear of God will solve that problem. The fear of God will, will solve the problem of meaning in our lives. It's going to solve the problem of meaning by giving us meaning now, by giving our lives meaning now and meaning in eternity. Okay? Let's, so let me show you what I mean. Maybe I'll give you an example. We, uh, we have a number of car enthusiasts in the church, right? Like we have, we have some people, I think, who, who have cars. Do we have people who have actually rebuilt classic cars in this? Any, raise your hand. Yeah? Yeah, Kirk, right? Yeah, okay. So let's say, is, is he here? Okay. So should we make fun of him in his absence or? Okay, let's, so let's say Kirk, let's say, uh, let's say Kirk rebuilds a classic car. He, he gets the, you know, he gets the chassis and, y- you know, he, he puts, maybe orders some nice rims, puts them on, gets, gets a custom paint job, drops in the big um, V8 engine. It's all shiny. It's annoyingly loud, but we have to pretend it's cool. Let's say Kirk is foolish enough to lend me his car for a weekend. He drops it off Friday. I, I bring it home. And um, Sunday night, I, I drive it back to his house. And it's in rough shape. The, uh, the bumper is hanging off the front. It's, it's like, it, it's covered in mud on the sides. Fenders are, are dinged. Um, Kirk says to me, what, what happened? And I say to him, that's the worst lawnmower I ever used. <laughs> All it did was, was make tire tracks in, in, in the lawn. It sprayed mud everywhere. It couldn't handle the corners. It bottomed out on all the bumps. Now, what have I done in the... Aside from um, lowering our church attendance by one family. (laughs) I've disregarded the creator of that car. I've disregarded him. He, He built it and he built it and as he was building it, he built it for a purpose. He built the purpose into it, right? Probably built it to be, well, for starters, driven on a road, you know, maybe, dr- maybe taken to, to shows or, you know, take it down to, to White Rock, drive it down the beach on a sunny day when we eventually get them. And what I've done is I've taken it and, and I've disregarded the creator and disregarded the purpose for which the creator of that car built it. That's the problem of Ecclesiastes. We've seen that all the way through. And so the, pro- the problem was not that the teacher uh, pursued wisdom. The problem was that he pursued it with no regard to God. Uh, the, prob- the problem was not that he pursued pleasure. It was that he pursued it with no regard to God. The problem was not that he pursued success. It's that he pursued it with no regard to God. Because God created all these, those things. He created your life and mine. 
and he created them for a purpose. And what renders them meaningful then in this life is if we fear God, if we give regard to the creator above anything else. And then we use, we, we use our lives, we use whatever wisdom, wisdom, pleasure, success, our, our jobs, our family, our spare time, we use it for the purpose that he designed it for. And so fearing God saves us from meaninglessness uh, in this life. It, it saves us from, from thinking our life is incoherent or pointless here and now. Fearing God will also save us from meaninglessness in, the, in eternity. And so, um, and so he, he says in verse 14, God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Now, now it says God will judge us, and, and some of us might read that as kind of a threatening thing. We'll get to that. But understand that this is also a promise because that means that means the story is not uh, the story is not that that the world just burns up and then there's nothing. What you do now matters. I, I love the way I'm going to quote at length from from Philip Philip Ryken's commentary on Ecclesiastes. He puts it really well um, on this point. The point be, the point being that that um, fearing God means that our lives are meaningful into eternity. He says, at the final judgment, right, it says there's God who will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing. It says, at the final judgment, it will matter how we used our time, whether we wasted it on foolish pleasures or worked hard for the Lord. It will matter what we did with our money, whether we spent it on ourselves or invested it in the eternal kingdom. It will matter what we did with our bodies, what our eyes saw, our hands touched, and our mouths spoke. Whether we obeyed our father and mother will matter. So will the look we gave them and the little comment we made as we were walking away. What we did for a two-year-old will matter. The way we made time for her and got down on her level. What we said about someone else's performance will matter. The sarcastic remark or the word of genuine praise. The proud boast and the selfless sacrifice will matter. The household task and the homework assignment will matter. The cup of water, the tear of compassion, the word of testimony, all of it matters. The final message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters, but that everything does. What we did, how we did it, and why we did it will all have eternal significance. The reason everything matters is because everything in the universe is subject to the final verdict of a righteous God who knows every secret. And so what we do today is not meaningless, and it's not, it, and it's not insignificant. The, the tiny decision that you make in, in just a, a brief moment when nobody's looking and you get no credit for it still matters because there's something beyond the sun. God's there and he's watching So if we fear God, if we have a life-changing, um, life-shaping awareness of his holiness and power, that will save us from meaninglessness uh, 
now and into eternity. But some of this language, maybe this language of fear, this language of judgment, maybe doesn't sit that well with us right now. And it, and it feels weird to us as Christians too because we're like, isn't Jesus all about love and grace? How do we deal with that? Let's, let's, let's dig into it. Everything, everything that we've set up up until now is true, but, but post-Jesus, there's another dimension to this. This was written about a thousand years before Jesus. And so there's another dimension that's added in the New Testament. Do we still fear God in the New Testament? What we find in the New Testament is actually two, um, two seemingly contradictory realities. We, fear, we still fear God, but we're not afraid of Him. We fear God, but we're not afraid of Him. And so the New Testament uh, clearly says that we should still fear God. We, we just a few minutes ago saw Jesus saying, fear God. Uh, Luke in the book of Acts, um, Paul and the writer of Hebrews all talk about fearing God as, as a good and proper thing to do. That even post-Jesus, we still fear God in the sense of having a life-shaping awareness of his holiness and power. In fact, 1 Peter, we went through 1 Peter in the fall, and it says, uh, it says specifically, 1 Peter 2.17, Respect everyone, love the family of believers, Fear God and respect the king. He, he commands it outright. And so absolutely, the New Testament still says we should fear God, but there's this other thing going on where we don't need to be afraid of God. And so Hebrews 4.16 says, let us come boldly, boldly to the throne, throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Ephesians 3.12 says something similar. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. And so in the Old Testament, you got, you got Isaiah and, and he says, it's all over. I'm, I, I'm dead. I'm, I'm a sinful man when he comes into the presence of God. In the New Testament, we come boldly into the presence of God. Now, again, we, we need a, an understanding of God that is not small. And so we, we would be wrong to say that's, that's because God is no longer um, frighteningly powerful. Because he is. He's still the same power, powerful God. But what's changed um, is our relationship to him because of Jesus. It says right there in Ephesians 3, 12. It says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Because of Christ and our faith in him. Or um, Hebrews 10 puts it even more bluntly. I have a slide for Hebrews 10, right? Yeah. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. 
By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. That because of Jesus, this is what we've been meditating on throughout this Lent season, and we're going to celebrate it. It's going to culminate in this celebration of Good Friday, the death of Jesus, and Easter Sunday, next Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. Where we come to understand that though we... Though we fear God, because God is a big and powerful being, we don't need to be afraid of him, because Jesus has reconciled us to him. And so, and so in, at the end of your Bible, in Revelation, there's this beautiful picture where it's, it's almost a mirror image of Isaiah 6, where, where there's a, this vision of God. Je- uh, the Apostle John actually sees Jesus in heaven and and it's again a big scary like scary degree of power it says uh his eyes are like flames of fire he's um he's holding seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came out from his mouth which that's crazy so it's this this and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance it's this incredible display of power and john like isaiah falls on his face he says when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me, and he said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so, and so the, um, the charge for us, post-Jesus, is to continue fearing God, but not to be afraid of him. Because... Through Jesus, our relationship with God is repaired, and we can come boldly into God's presence. And yet, and yet, as we live, we live understanding that God that God uh, receives the highest regard in our lives. That we need not fear things that are less than God. That we need not fear other people, and that our lives then become meaningful. As we, um, as we live them in the purpose for which God created them. Worship team, why don't you guys come on up? We're going um, to sing. We, we've been singing all, all day, actually, about how, how God is the, thing, the one thing that can satisfy us. And, and we're going to sing that again today. We're going to sing, if you're tired and thirsty, there's freedom. Because if we fear God and if we come into relationship with him through Jesus, then we have access to the one thing uh, that, that will give meaning and satisfaction into our lives. That's the promise of Ecclesiastes. That's the promise of all of Scripture.